Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, a cunning, concatenative consideration and conjecture of the current Canaries conundrums. I'm Tom, and I'm joined as ever by John. We've got a debut ACTM podder in Zoe, and the voice of recent nostalgic highlights, Chris Gorham. Norwich are up and running with a win, and it's been a very long time since we've been able to say that. Fantastic performance all around the pitch. Uh, but Chris Gorham, other than Skippy, who actually got the official nod, who was the, the, the star performer for you, you think, against Huddersfield? Well, hello, everyone. Yeah, I, for me, I think what was most encouraging, other than the fact it was actually a win, was that it, it was two of the new guys that stood out for me. I thought Skip was excellent, but um, Xavi Quintia, we, we seem to have found someone who can take a set piece. There are a couple of the corners that he, he put in. There was one that um, Zimmerman got up and, and headed just over the bar, which was which was excellent. And there was another one which he played in that bounced right along the edge of the six-yard box. And it was almost as if Norwich players just aren't used to corners of, of that quality coming in. And, and nobody was there to apply what would have been quite a simple finishing touch. So if Wendy is back in the team on Saturday, as much as we all love him, I'm, I'm hoping that he doesn't go straight back on corners because he played really well, Kintia, at left-back. Bearing in mind, we just lost Jamal Lewis, so there was a, a bit of a spotlight on him. I thought he had a good game, and if his set-piece delivery is that good for the rest of the season, that, that could be quite a useful weapon in the Championship. I was talking to a, uh, a friend today about uh, the Buendia situation. He, he, he's not a Norwich fan, he's a QPR fan for his sins, and he was asking about Buendia and whether or not we think we think keep him. And um, I, I was talking about the fact that, yes, he'll, he'll hopefully be back available this weekend, but I, I said exactly the same. I hope he's not on set pieces, because actually we've, 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 un, we've unearthed someone who basically has got... It's kind of James Madison-esque, the, the consistency with which they were attackable balls. And, and you notice it almost more when you've got it, if you see what I mean, like I'd forgotten yeah. that. Oh no, actually, and um, every time you have a corner and a, and, a, and a free kick, that should be an opportunity to, to score a goal. <laughs> Whereas we, we just sort of write them off. Well, yeah, and I think it's going to be particularly vital this season. I mean, and it always is. It's such a useful way of scoring goals. We found out last season it's quite a handy way if you want to concede goals as well, set pieces. But um, we're going to come up against some teams this season if if it all goes as we think it will. Who will? If not park the bus, they will certainly be driving the bus around looking for a parking space and, and it will be packed defences that will have to break down. And sometimes if you can just get a, a centre-half on the end of a set piece, as we saw on, on Saturday, OK, that isn't how Norwich won the game, but just, just one goal, just getting a goal at the right time is going to be vital uh, this season if, if Norwich are to do what, what we all hope they're going to. So the odd header from a corner, something like that, the, the ability to score from set pieces, I think is going to be absolutely vital this season. And you hope they do actually start to attack them. I mean, it's the sort of thing that you think now they've seen him do that in a game more often. They might make make that gambling run a bit more often. So, Zoe, on to you. Um, Skip, has, Skip has gone. Um, Xavi has gone. Give me another name that, that really shone for you on, on Saturday. Well, Chris did steal my answer there a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think I might go old school and just pick the guy that scored the goal. I think uh, it's, it's so That's important. So one, Zoe. Oh, absolutely. That's all I'm bothered about. All I was bothered about on Saturday was three points. We got three points. We needed to score a goal. I think Ida is going to be really important for us this season, whether he starts every game or not. I think he's got that kind of physicality, mentality as well. I think he looks a lot fitter than when when he first came into the team as well. I think he looks like he's got into really good shape. Um, and I think he's got that kind of attitude where he just wants to score and he wants the team to score as soon as he's on the pitch. And I think 
especially maybe at the start of the season, if it takes a little while for Pookie's confidence to come back, hopefully it comes back as soon as possible. I think having someone alongside him who is full of confidence and is positive is really going to help um, him come back into some form. And I think um, obviously we need Pookie to be scoring again for us to really have a shot at winning the league by at least 15 points, which is what I think we're going to do. So I think that's a very sensible prediction. I, I, I don't know about... Um... I don't know about Pookie personally. I, I was really pleased with the way he played, mm-hmm. um, and and there is un- there's an unmistakable rust about him that 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 kind of has been lingering around since winter. Um, but there, there was some. There, you mentioned the shape that that, that Edie was in, um, and I, I think that Pookie actually looked really bright. You know, I know it's only one game, but that there was something about him. He seemed more sprightly, like like he needed to turn the page and start this new season again. Did, did, you, did you sort of feel that as well? I think that one of the overwhelming images that's going to be in my head from the restarted portion of the Premier League season is Pookie looking like he was about to burst into tears at every moment uh, during that, whether he'd missed a chance or he'd not quite got on the end of a cross or something, just... Uh, the classic sadness in his eyes, I think. Um, it was just heartbreaking, really. And you could just see he was trying so hard um, and really struggling to get that form back. And I think, um, hopefully, yeah, like you say, it's only one game. Um, and he did look, he looked happier, he looked better. But I think just him being in a good place and in a happy place is just going to be what we need to really get started, I think. That will definitely kick us on. So, John, it falls to you to, to pick the final shining star from uh, from Saturday. I was going to pick Timo, actually. Well, I was going to pick two people, and one of them was going to be Timo Puki. And I, I think it was pretty much for the reasons that you just touched on there, Tom, is that he very much looked back to towards his best for me. And when you watch that goal again, and I have watched it several times, because actually you don't get to watch Norwich City winners, uh, or you, we haven't been able to watch Norwich City winners for some time. It's his anticipation. So he's already making the run from Stearman's kind of poorly hit back pass before he's hit it. You don't make those runs all the time as a striker if you're not full of confidence. He was kind of almost anticipating. And I think even if Stearman had hit it relatively well, he would have made it. But then he doesn't break stride. He's absolutely head up straight away. And he does exactly the right thing. Whereas a, a striker who potentially was desperate for a goal might have just snatched at the chance. So he definitely deserves an honourable mention, but for me, probably Max Aarons was the man of the match because you didn't have Amy Buendia um, to play on the right, given suspension, and Cantwell was playing on the right. Cantwell grew into the game, but he didn't start particularly well. I thought he, he looked a bit disjointed with, with Down at times, but because Cantwell was drifting in much like Buendia um, does most of the time, Aarons was just a constant outlet, and I think if we can keep him in this division... But he's definitely the best fullback in in the championship for me. And if we can keep him um, come October, the whenever it is that the window closes, that's going to be a huge piece of business. Okay, so Chris, what about the uh, about the way that we saw out the game? It was nice to not feel particularly nervous. Um, it, it wasn't a really really tense tense game. Huddersfield, again, it's only one game, but I, I didn't see a lot in there that makes me feel like we've been truly tested like we're going to be at this level. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, and I have noticed it mentioned a couple of places, was um, Alex Pritchard um, and just the shadow of, of the player that we saw at Carrow Road. Um, it actually made me feel a little bit sad you know, for him and for a player that um, was 
such a bright spark for us. And I really enjoyed seeing him in a yellow shirt and was disappointed and, and completely understood that it was time for him to move on to the bright lights of the Premier League. Um, but he was ineffectual and cross and he just seemed like a different player. Yeah, I, I completely agree because I, I always liked him as I think we all did when, when he was playing for Norwich and we all thought that we were lucky to have him while we had him and that he would definitely go on to, to bigger and better things and, and have a Premier League career. And I was actually talking to, we had Mark Rivers with us um, on, on Saturday at the game and, and he made quite what I thought was quite an interesting point. He, he said that he felt when Pritchard was playing for Norwich and he brought up Johnny Housen as well. He said when those two players left Norwich, he felt that they were complete footballers. They were really at the peak of their powers. And he doesn't think players like Todd Campwell, Max Ahrens, Ben Godfrey are, are at that point yet. So what does it tell you that, that two players who we were sure would go on to bigger and better things, who, who were quite young when they left Norwich, are now in the championship and both were fighting championship relegation battles last year with, with Middlesbrough and Huddersfield. I think it, it makes you look again at, at the players I've just mentioned, our, our current crown jewels, our current crop of youngsters. And you know nothing's guaranteed for them yet, is it? We, we all assume that they're going to go off and have fine Premier League careers and they're going to, Jamal Lewis will be the first of a few to, to leave the club. But it's funny how it doesn't always work out like that. I think they've all of those players, if they do make a move, and it doesn't, well, it looks like we've got a good chance of keeping them at least for, until this transfer window closes. Whatever their next move is, that they've got to pick it carefully because you can be very promising at the age of 21, 22, and still not get that regular Premier League career that your your potential suggests you, you should be capable of. I think it's it's going to be fascinating to see what direction these careers all go in. I think Adam Eder is another good example in that he's a striker that we have been really excited about for years. We, we've, we've known for the last couple of years that Norwich have a really promising player in, in the squad there. He's already played a couple of games for the Republic of Ireland. They're excited to have him. But it was his first league goal on Saturday. You know, we've got a player there who we're all expecting will go and do it and will be a force in the championship this year. But he hasn't done it yet. And it, it's amazing how much we have this real desire and this real willingness to want those that are one of our own to, to go on and, and kick on straight away. But maybe we have to just give these young players a little bit more of a, a, a chance to, to play first team football and, and not expect too much too soon because it, Alex Pritchard is a bit of a lesson, I think, to, to all of them that it, it might not always be plain sailing, it, that path to the top in football. So, Zoe, you, you're obviously impressed with, with him from, for getting the goal, which, you know, you rather old fashioned point of view, you, you think that's important. Um, what about what about this Saturday? Do you do you think he's done enough to lead the line, or, or do you say thank you for the for the winning goal? You now need to get back on the bench because King Timu will be um, still on the throne. I think I think you've got to play Pookie just because of the way that we play. I think, um, and I don't think dropping him would do any good for him. Probably, um, I think he played certainly played well enough on Saturday to merit still playing. Um, but it's so great to have those options. You know, we've got two striking options now on the bench, um, like fighting for a, for a place in the team. And it just, it opens up those possibilities then for what how we can change it up and how things can get different if we are struggling to make a breakthrough in a game. We've got, um, I think the transfer business that we've done over the summer has has really allowed us to, to create those options that we maybe didn't have enough of last season. Um, and, you know, we probably didn't have the season before, but we we found we didn't really need them at the time. But there's no guarantee that's going to happen again. And I think um, sort of that strength in depth that we seem to have added uh, uh, to a lot of the places where we seem to have 
um, a little bit, a few gaps probably. Um, I think looks really impressive, certainly on paper. Obviously, they've got to prove it, but it, it looks like we've done some very sensible business uh, over the summer, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it all develops. You're comp- I think you're completely right. I was I was only uh, trying to phrase the su- suggestion that that you know once once you score and you, you kind of following on from Chris's point, um, uh, we, we what we need to keep him grounded and, and not get him to to, to to be too excited. But I mean, even the fact that that you could almost have a sensible conversation about it shows how impressive his his kind of start to his career has been. Obviously, when it comes to Preston North End, that you know he he did score a hat trick last time out against them, so. Um, you know they, they won't be in a hurry to see him on Saturday. Um, John, on the on the squad options that, that the Zoe's just mentioned there, um, being able to change it up um, on on Saturday, it was it was very clear. I thought after about an hour 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 and a bit that that we'd sort of we'd really really given it a fantastic go and played some good stuff and had a lot of opportunities, but we were starting to slow down and die off, and it was clear that we needed to bring some some attacking impetus on. Um, the, the options that we've got now. If you go position by position, and, and we don't know that we're going to keep the, the remaining um, kind of potential transferees, if you like, until the end of October the 16th, I think it is. But even if we keep three or four of them, this is the most options we've we've probably ever had at any level. Would you agree? At, you know, bearing in mind how many, how much competition there is for how many positions. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's verging on ridiculous now in terms of the amount of options that, that we'll have in an attacking sense. And you mentioned that Preston probably won't want to see Adam Eder, um in the starting lineup because of his hat trick against him in the FA Cup. They probably won't want to see Jordan Hugill in the lineup either, given that he's you know a former player of theirs, and they're probably thinking that you know he'll he'll come back to haunt them. Um, and neither of them will likely start. You know, I think it would be the right decision. I think Zoe's paying on the money that that Timu Puki has to start and, and he's kind of conducive to the way that Norwich City sets up with the way that he makes his runs and the way he kind of drops off and allows um, and he did it more on Saturday I thought than we've we've usually seen that he kind of dropped into channels and and allowed um, you know the likes of Campwell and, and Dow to to make you know further progressive runs into the box but yeah I mean we've got so much depth and it's something that I wanted to talk about that you looked at the bench on Saturday there was no Mario Vrancic there was no Marco Stigman. There was no Tim Closer. I mean, they're three massively experienced championship campaigners who could all potentially have a part to play this season, especially if we have a couple of exits. It's it's just mad. It it, it maddened me as well, though, that um, Lucas Rupp kind of made the 18 ahead of, of Mario Rancic. And it probably speaks to Farker and the... The recruitment team may be looking at they looking for more all-rounders in the side so mario's very good at you know kind of the his passing side of the game and the creative vision maybe not so good at uh, you know kind of the all energy kind of bustling midfield style that they're, they're looking at this season so um it's going to be really interesting to see farker's 18s now for probably the next kind of four to six weeks as as this transfer window progresses because we'll probably get an idea of who's going to stay who's going to go well it's, it's interesting you mentioned Rupp, because I, I'm yet to see anything that would suggest he should make a 32-man a squad, let alone an 18-man squad. Um, so come on, Chris Gorham, you're you're the you're the voice of, uh, of of the best things that have ever happened to us in the last 10 years in a Norwich City shirt. So tell tell me why Lucas Rupp is a fantastic signing, and really I should be over the moon that he's available uh, to Daniel Farker every Saturday. 
Well, I've only seen the same of him as you have. So he 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 doesn't seem to be as good at, at passing the ball as, as Mario Vrancic is. He doesn't seem to be as good at as breaking up the play as, as Teti is. So I, in someone in that position. So I haven't really quite worked out what his role will be. We've seen him play in, in different positions, haven't we? He's, he's even played on as part of the front three at times. And we're yet to really see him... Well, he had that one moment when he was clean through against Liverpool and we thought this was going to be Lucas Rupp announcing himself way before lockdown. I don't know if you remember that. And he yeah, sort of forgot yeah, to shoot and ran straight <laughs> yeah. into Alisson, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I think he might, he might turn into one of those players that is more of a, a manager's player than a, than a fan's player. Um, obviously, he works really hard on, on the training ground every week and doesn't complain and gets on with it. And those are the sort of players that, that, that managers like to reward. Um, again, if you go back to before the lockdown, that there was a big debate going on about Emmy Buendia not getting in the team every week, wasn't there? And, and Daniel Farke had some quite strong things to say about how, yeah, he's a talent, but he, he needs to do more for the team. And I think those two players are good examples of how managers, uh, managers and head coaches look at a, a team and a squad and what they want from it is often very different from what supporters see and what supporters want from, from a group of players. I think those, those two, Rupp and Buendia, probably capture that quite neatly. It's interesting, isn't it, that he chose uh, Ida's league goal, um, kind of his first league goal, to then stick the boot in about the fact he didn't train hard enough um, and that a couple of senior members um, of the team had to have a word with him um, as well as him. I, I thought that was a bizarre piece of man. I mean, you know, he's got a history of odd approaches to man management. Um, and that I thought that was really strange that, that in the kind of, in the echoes of, of the end of that game, um, he chose in his in his to not kind of go all out and praise. So maybe that was an approach to to keep Ida grounded by saying that he isn't necessarily the best trainer. Um, but okay, so so rest of the team then. So we on uh, looking ahead to to, to Preston. Um, we you know we know that we got we got to go with Puki Farker. You know, in the previous season he would he wouldn't change a winning team unless he really had to. Can, can you see anyone you know pushing their way in? You know, for example, a certain Mister Brendier. I mean. He's he's got to be there or thereabouts. Uh, I, I can't see him. I think it, it was interesting in the the year that we won the league that it was only Emmy that seemed to me able to manage to break his way back into a winning team or an, an unbeaten team anyway after he got suspended. I think um, you know I, it it's naive to think that he's not very important to the team even at this level. And I think. Um, he'll definitely be knocking on the door. It'll be interesting to see who might make way for him. I'm not entirely sure. I think I know who might get, make way for him. Um, but he's probably the one that would come back in. I can't see Farker suddenly changing into a completely different man and wanting to change it all up completely. He's just not like that. He likes, you know, he likes to carry on players that aren't losing. And um, so I can't see see much changing there, to be honest. So do you, would you do you think he might swap out Todd or he might swap out Kieran Dowell? Todd would be my choice, uh, probably controversial, but yeah, I think I I don't think Todd. It would may... be with him. He loves it when people criticise him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't it really well. <laughs> I don't think he did enough, and I think if yeah, if you were going to pick one, I think um, in terms of keeping what Dowell has to offer, it's different enough to what Emmy and Todd have to offer um, to sort of make his case quite a strong one. Um, and in my head, I think probably I'd be most comfortable with Todd missing out. 
and then the rest of the team the same for you, John? Or, or, or are you not on the? Are you on the Emmy? You got suspended, so you have to wait until we, we haven't won. No, I mean, I think Todd, from the noises that that you kind of hear now, is probably one of the most likely to leave the club. Um, so I think you'd probably be looking at, at dropping him out. It's really tricky though, because as much as I, I kind of semi-criticised him previously, he did really grow into that game, and he, you know, there was times during the second half where he was taking the ball on the half turn he had his head up and suddenly we'd kind of either broken at pace or he'd played a little through ball into a channel for you know Hernandez or Poeta and we just seemed to click for you know kind of a, a few milliseconds and I think if we get that Todd Cantwell consistently then it would be really interesting to see what would happen maybe if he was playing in the 10 Emmy was on the right you can't change anyone else. I mean, apart that's the only decision, surely, that, that Farker's got to make. But knowing Norwich City, we'll have probably three or four bad injuries when it, it comes to the press conference and the bulletin, um, you know, on Friday, and then and it'll be all change. Well, he uh, he's the only one, he's the only player I'm aware of that's got an assist via a concussion. Um, <laughs> like knocking Stearman out. I mean, Stearman didn't know what day it was when, when well, he was kind of wandering around. So I, I think Campbell was maybe lucky not to be suspended for the game on I, on Saturday. Yeah, I thought that was a bit of a Buendia move, wasn't it? Getting handy with the elbows when things weren't going particularly well in the game, while it was still nil nil. So maybe maybe he is learning from 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 maybe Buendia. Yeah, I, I I feel bad saying complaining about a lack of VAR when we spent the whole of last season complaining about having it but I think if we'd had it for, for this game you probably would have seen a red card for that and I think Norwich would have had at two least penalties. one probably two penalties yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. suddenly when it's not there we, we miss it don't we but I think I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Buendia I think he's clearly a huge fans favourite I think you can't forget what Todd Cantwell did last season you know the goals he got in the Premier League when, when you consider that Emmy only got one all season and we were already down by pretty much by the time he got that that goal at Watford I think you, you, you can't forget that Todd Cantwell, I think after August last season, no one scored more goals at, at Carrow Road than, than Todd Cantwell. And Emmy Buendia, I'm afraid to say, since he last scored at Carrow Road, he's been sent off twice at Carrow Road. So if he's on the if he is on the bench on Saturday and Todd Cantwell keeps his place, I don't think he could really complain about it that much. But it's a long season. He will get, as long as he stays, he'll, he'll get his chance at some point. He'll be a key player at some point. But it, it might not be yet. I, I thought that Cantwell did more over 90... Well, I, I don't think he finished the game, did he? I, I thought Cantwell did more over his time on the pitch than, than Dowell did, personally. I, I think he, he affected the game in more more positive ways and gave the ball away fewer times than, than Dowell. And, you know, Dowell, I think, looks like a very promising signing. But if, I, I would if it, I would drop uh, drop Dowell for Emmy um, and say to Dowell, here's the, here's, the, here's the points where you gave the ball around, like you didn't make the right choice. Um, Emmy, Emmy's amazing. We'd like you to become a club legend, like Emmy kind of did in the space of one season. Um, but at the moment, while I've got Emmy available, you know, basically come off the bench on, well, if it was Farker, eighty-nine, but if it was me, you know, sixty-five, um, and and prove that you should be should be starting. But with the with the Saturday Tuesday role of the championship, especially in this most convoluted and I don't mean convoluted, do I? Um, most kind of sandwiched together. Um, uh, season that we're ever going to have is it, almost literally Saturday, Tuesday from here on in now. So we're going to need to use that squad. I mean, I mean Tetty will be at centre back in, in in the next couple of games, I'm sure. <laughs> um, cool. So uh, looking ahead then to um, to Saturday, uh, I I think we can move straight to um, straight to the 
the debate around how many people are going to get to go and see it. Uh, there's obviously been some news uh, come through today, so we're recording this Wednesday evening. Um, so yesterday, by the time you listen to this, and there's going to be a thousand people there. Um, John, how do you think the the club have, have have handled the about ten minutes? I think we heard notice that the that they got from the EFL that they were going to have fans there on Saturday. Yeah, I mean it's really short notice for for everyone, and I think that kind of speaks to sometimes how much the EFL actually value their fans. You know, they they don't. I don't think they really give a shit that much. Um, it's really great that that Norwich have been picked as a pilot. It, it's sometimes it's difficult to reconcile that with everything that's that's going on. But you know, it is really good that Norwich have been deemed as a safe enough environment. Um, you know, and that they've they've got their act together to make sure that that supporters can return to the stadium. I think they've got it right. I don't think there could have been any other way that they could have allocated tickets than rather than the ballot that they've they've gone out with. And I think it's also really good that they've gone with the caveat that. If you're successful, and this, Chris and I were saying this just before we started recording, if you're successful in getting a ticket, you won't be able to come back until every other season ticket holder who wants to come has also been able to attend a, a match at Carrow Road as well. So I think you know there should be a lot of credit for the way in which the club have handled really everything you know in terms of supporters returning to the stadiums because the system that they put in place, and I can't remember if we discussed this on the last podcast or not, but the system that they put in place was great for me i've seen some other you know kind of really weird systems that that other clubs have have, um implemented around ballots and you know just just really weird things that that actually don't really value supporters but i think norwich have have definitely done the right thing in saying we've got twenty two thousand people who've already purchased a a ticket to a match so we need to look after those guys first um so yeah i think they come out of this with, with loads and loads of credit in the bank Let's open the ACN mailbag. We've got two fantastic contributors uh, on today's pod and they cannot wait to answer the questions that have come in from our friends. So let's hit, hit us with the first one. Well, I think we should probably start with, with where we've just um, left off. So Fionn Thomas has got in touch and she asks, how should the club decide which 1,000 fans get to go on Saturday? Stupid answers only. <laughs> Zoe, let's start with you. Uh, I think... The funniest way of doing it would have possibly been to say, uh, we know you'll all argue about it. You constantly bicker. Um, It's been a terrible week on Twitter. To punish you all, we're only going to let Preston fans in. So Preston can pick their thousand best fans um, and we'll let them come down from the northwest and enjoy their day at the football. Love that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't think that can... Only that can be improved on. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the suggestion I was going to make, and I, I think somebody else has come up with a similar idea replying to Fionn's post. I was going to say that the other way of treating all season ticket holders exactly the same so that it was completely fair was to let none of them in and have the game on Saturday as a special occasion for people who've never been to Carrow Road before. And I think that would that would be a good thing to do for two reasons, because it would give you a chance to find a thousand new Norwich fans. And, you know, we, you could never get enough, can you? You need the next generation of fans coming through. And also, having been fortunate and also unfortunate enough to go to most of the behind-closed-doors games so far, my real worry for the, for the weekend is that the thousand people who are successful and get in on the ballot are going to be people who are used to seeing Carrow Road packed and they're not going to have the same match day experience that they usually do. I think they might find the whole thing a bit surreal and a bit underwhelming. So I'd, I'd rather 
keep them away until they can see Carrow Road as they know it and as they love it, when it's packed the way it should be. So maybe we should use this as an opportunity to bring through the next generation of, of fans uh, rather than, than having season ticket holders bickering amongst themselves. Just treat them all the same. Nice. Tommy, got anything to add to that, mate? Uh, I, I still think we, we go with uh, we go with Preston fans. Just as I, I, I love the fact that it has been a bit of a, a bit of a toxic environment on social media for, for Norwich fans, and it, it feels a bit like they're almost like a bubble needs to burst, and it almost feels like the the club it, in some way need to step in with a gesture like that. I mean, I know obviously that was that was in jest, but I almost feel like well, you can't have nice things if you can't play nicely with each other. Um, like I, I almost kind of second that that sentiment and it there is just there is no place for some of the the, the trolling nonsense that that has, that has occurred we, we all have different opinions and we all think that um you know different things should be should be made and we've all got different hills that we're willing to die on like me with my subs that i'm banging on about all the time um but but there is a line that you don't cross um and and i, I personally think that there um there are some people whose actions on social media suggest that maybe they shouldn't be rewarded with 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 a, with a place in the ballot should they be lucky enough to get one, um, because actually we try and be a, a Norris family and um, the, the really strange thing is there's so much positivity around the club at the moment um, and we've just come off the back of a win our first win in ages and then to, to then have any kind of negativity between fans over um, the few days after that. Um, seems odd because we should all just be full of joy of the fact that we're currently in the playoff positions um, and as Zoe's just said we're going to win the league by 15 points this season so mm. you know just, we, should, we should all be going back to dancing on the castle ball uh, mound and, and having a lovely time <laughs> next question John all right we have Benedict Davy next and he's asked well this is specifically for Chris really how have you found adjusting to commentating on matches with no live crowd and has this change thrown up any challenges that could be for Zoe. Um, why, why can't Zoe answer that? Zoe. <laughs> how, how have you found the commentary game, Zoe? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> I, I'd agree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I've, I've been to most of the behind-closed-doors games. I've been to all the all the games at Carrow Road. And I've, I feel this is sort of very churlish for saying it because in many ways I'm lucky to have gone to all the games. But I've really not enjoyed it. I think, yes, I've been able to watch football, and, and many people have missed football, but it's not the, the, the full. It's not the match. It's not the match day experience that we all we all love. And I think not being able to catch up with um, people like yourselves, the fans that we all speak to every every week, not even being able to just do simple things like go for a coffee with my my work colleagues Phil and Rob before the game because we're, we're not we haven't been at games all together for a while. It, it doesn't feel quite right. And I've I must admit I think my my relationship with football has changed and certainly did change towards the end of last season. I didn't feel ready for it to come back. It didn't feel right without fans in the ground. I'd like to think going forward that this will change the way that football sees supporters and realises how important they are. I'm not 100% sure it will, but I, I hope it does. But from a commentary point of view, it, it is weird. We had it on Saturday where Norwich score a winning goal and there was only 10 minutes to go so it was a big goal in the game and usually as a commentator you'd be really you'd be lifting uh, at that point trying to ride the crowd noise but there's there's nothing to, to go up against so uh, I've made the comparison before you, you're just a man standing next to a field shouting which which is which is not a good thing to be at any at any point but without the crowd that's what you are reduced to as a commentator so the sooner we can get more fans back in from a commentary point of view yeah the better for me it's it's it really it's really not a good experience even though i know i am lucky to have, to have been able to go to these games 
how audible is, are the coaching staff now? Like, can you properly hear them and the instructions that kind of Farker and, you know, his, his charges are giving? And does that give you any additional kind of level of insight as to, to what they usually do? You, you can with some games. I think it's difficult at Carroll Road because we're up on the on the gantry on the top of the south stand these days. And of course, Daniel Farker is the, the other side of the pitch. But I, mean, I remember commentating with, with Darren Eady towards the end of last season and just before Everton scored in, in their 1-0 win at Carrow Road, we'd made the comment on the air to each other about how, how quiet it seemed in the ground. Now, obviously, there were no fans in, so of course it seemed quiet. But we're, we're trying to make the point, and Darren, of course, knows more about it than I do. You really noticed that there was a lack of communication between the players on the pitch for a while. You, you weren't hearing the sort of shouts and, and the sort of instructions and people grabbing each other by the collars that, that you, you would like to see when your team's in a relegation battle. I, I felt that's what came across, particularly in that dreadful run of home games we had towards the end of, of last season. It was a bit different on Saturday because we were pretty much behind the dugouts and we had the Norwich City directors. And most of them had made the trip just in front of us. So when Norwich scored, there was a bit of a, a cheer and that was mainly from the Norwich subs and, and the Norwich directors who were so pleased to see their team you know, finally go in, in the lead in a game. So, yeah, you, you do pick up the odd nugget, but but sometimes it's it's what you don't hear rather than what you do hear. OK, well, we'll move on. We've got Lorraine Taylor next on Twitter, and this is probably one for you, Zoe, as I, I probably know the answer. If everyone was fit, who would be your ideal centre-back pairing? Well, uh my heart, my heart lies with Tim and Zim. Uh, they, we just haven't seen enough of them together, and that you know they are the ultimate in uh, Norwich City players. I would suggest um, they. Um, yeah, I, I think when I, I don't think we've seen, I don't think we've seen enough of them playing together to really know what kind of a a combination they would be. I think. Probably I'm being very unfair on Ben Godfrey because uh, my head obviously tells me that he's part of our best centre-back pairing. But, um, you know, for love and heart and character and joy, it's got to be Tim and Zim. I would second, I would second Zimmerman um, for, for similar reasons. Now, there's, we've got a centre-back that we've, we've spent some money on and we expect to spend more money on if things go well. Um, that obviously we, none of us have seen playing an orange shirt for a minute yet, and we expect to be brought into things relatively soon. Um, especially because we're, we're bound, we, we, we can only be a few days away now from a, a broken leg or uh, you know some sort of metatarsal injury at centre back. You know we're, we're well overdue uh, a couple of a couple more centre back injuries. Um, I, I would probably go Ben and Zim for similar reasons. Um, you know I, I would probably go with, with Ben Godfrey and Zimmerman. That they they to me for all the centre backs at the at the club we've got at the moment. I've got lovely memories of, of watching them um, take take us to glory, uh, but but I, yeah, I think it it may well if everyone stays fit, it may well end up Gibson and and, and Godfrey would, would probably be the head answer. Can, can I have a word here for Grant Hanley? Because <laughs> I, yes. I I I thought towards the end before the lockdown when Norwich were, were knocking Spurs out of the FA Cup and you know running Liverpool pretty close and only losing one nil, I I thought he was. I thought he was the player we missed more than any other after after the lockdown. And if I close my eyes and think of you know a central defensive partnership that is going to dominate in the championship and and take a team up, I see Ben Gibson and I see Grant Hanley. And I, I love all the other guys, of course, for all the reasons you've just mentioned. But to me, that looks that looks like a proper promotion-winning central defensive partnership. That that's that's like Mackay and Fleming back. That is having Hanley and Gibson. Yeah, that's a very good shout. And I have to admit. Hanley didn't come into my thoughts, which bear in mind, 
how often I've seen him cross the ball for Tim to, to score against the Scum. <laughs> and, and, and also, quite rightly, he, he has been he has been terrific in, in a lot of games for us. You know, he, he he's been robbed from he's been robbed by injury and form, hasn't he? Really, he, he lost out. He did he did nothing wrong during the championship season, really at all, other than get injured. And then we had such a fantastic run, he couldn't get back in the team. And and he he supported with you know we heard so much from Ben during that season about what a great leader Grant Hanley had been, and you know basically just delighted for the team to be performing, even though he couldn't get get a place in the eleven. Um, so yeah, it would it would be really nice for Grant Hanley for him to because I, I think he's the one that's quite close, isn't he? He's, is he actually fully training yet? Um, I'm not sure on that. Yeah, I'm not sure. No, I don't think Hanley's fit. I mean, I'd I'd kind of concur with Chris that I think it's really difficult to look past Hanley because whenever he's been fully fit, I think he's looked really really good and really really dependable for Norwich. And the only times that we've really seen him properly fit, in my view, would be when he was playing in a three at the back in Farker's first season and I thought he was the pick of, of those three when he was playing in, in that formation and when we've come back properly from um, from Project Restart and and just prior to that and he's, he's looked one of Norwich's better defenders so it's difficult to look beyond him but equally uh, Ben Godfrey just for his, his lightning pace I mean there was a, ma- a couple of recovery runs after probably I think Zimmerman had got turned or you know and He's just so rapid, you know, not as rapid as Poeta, but he's so quick for a central defender to be able to make those recovery runs in the championship. I think it's just going to give us a little bit of something else and, and something that probably none of the other centre-backs can do. Should we have another question? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say with Hanley as well, what won't work in his favour is he's not the type of player that comes back into the team sort of at top form he's he is one of those players that takes a few games to get back into it and that for that reason I think it's going to be interesting to see what circumstances in which he would come back into the team because if we are doing well and things are going along nicely I think the fact that it might take him a couple of games to get going could be a like it could be too much of a risk to bring him in um to just change things up a little bit yeah, I, I kind of concur with him that he needs a bit of football to, to kind of get back to any kind of um, sharpness. OK, let's move on. So let's have one more question then. So this is a would you rather from Nick Dye on Instagram. And he asks, would you rather keep Emmy Buendia for four years or build another tier on the city stand? Tom. I'd rather keep Buendia for four years because if we keep Buendia for four years, we're very likely to be in the Premier League for two and a half of them so so yeah i um i having another stand another another uh, chunk on the city stand doesn't really affect me so that's my kind of very selfish answer um i i really i mean i'm in the south stand so i really like the view i've got over the city stand of the, the you know seeing the cathedral spire and <laughs> and the lovely north <laughs> sky that so, really is selfish yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so so i yeah no I, i'm i'm fine I'll, I'll take i'll take emmy thank you very much but um yeah, it'd be fantastic to it'd be fantastic to have both. But for me, it's, it's Emmy because mainly because, like I say, we won't be able to hold on to Emmy unless we are playing the kind of football and having the kind of results that mean that he is sensible to stay where he is. Zoe, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'd go with Emmy too. I think people over buildings every day, and <laughs> uh, you know, maybe maybe I'd sort of 
compromise and say three years of Emmy and a few new seats. So we had some brighter yellow seats in the, in there. But... <laughs> That's the name of your podcast, Tom. People over building. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I did also have the sadness in Timu's eyes and a man next to a field shouting. Um, but yeah, people over buildings. Yeah. It's good. I, you, I can't disagree. I think. Um, it's all very well talking about another tier on the city stand. But we can only get a thousand people in the ground at the moment. We're not going to be able to fill another tier on top of the city stand for a good while yet, are we? So let's not worry about that. Well, I've seen an, an argument actually for the flip side of that is that in so much as um, why wouldn't we try and do the work now if we were going to do it? And I think Ben Kensel and Stuart Weber have, have kind of made noises previously that, that they wanted to put another tier on the city stand and it was almost going to be their legacy. Um, but actually, if you did it now, you're not going to disrupt a load of supporters like you did in was it 0304 I think it was when we when we won the league and you had the south stand was kind of pretty much you know being built whilst the, the season was was ongoing so in many ways it could be the potential time of the perfect time to do it it's a great point actually I never thought of that but you're right it's, that's one of the things that's always stood in the way of that is you'd have to find room for all season ticket holders when you haven't got room for them elsewhere so you're right mate maybe now is the perfect time maybe we but we, we can't go against emmy for another four years can we just, just for a few extra seats oh yeah all right <laughs> emmy for four years all right okay so we we need to pick the best question out of those lot because then they win some exclusive along come norwich merchandise who'd like to choose Zoe, you're, you're a debutant, whereas uh, Gorham's here every five minutes. So, Zoe, what's, uh, what, is, what do you think was the best question tonight? I think the one we just had about Emmy or the city stand. I think that was my favourite. Lovely. Uh -huh. Nick, get in touch and we will sort you out. We'll round off with uh, a, a very quick trivia. Um, we're going to go a single round. I will give you uh, a question, uh, and we're basically going to have an answer each. I want a very specific answer, and the one who's closest will be the trivia champion this evening. So I take you back to uh, 9th of March 1963, uh, when Norwich played a certain Stanley Matthews at 48 years old. Um, so we, it was a Division Two fixture, Norwich versus Stoke City, 9th of March, 1963. Uh, what was the score in that game? And the first to guess will be Chris Gorham. Oh my goodness, 1963. Uh, Against Stanley Matthews. Stanley Matthews. Um, I'm going to say, come on, you, this is a Norwich City podcast. You're not going to pick a Norwich City defeat, are you, for this? So I think Norwich won 4-1. Okay, Zoe. 3-2 Norwich. John Punt. 2-0 um, Norwich. Uh, Chris is the winner. It was a 6-0 defeat for Stanley Matthews. Uh, hey. Nor Nor Norwich spoiled his day. Um, so let's, let's, let's round up with predictions then. Um, what's the score going to be on Saturday, Zoe? 6-0 to Norwich. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, John, John Punt, what's your score going to be? 3-1. Uh, okay, and Chris? I'm going to go 2-0. I think Norwich is going to win. Uh, I'm going to go 4-0. I think we are going to be silly and giddy and expecting 15 points at least uh, to win the title thanks for your time Sally thanks for your time Chris thanks for your time John uh, everyone enjoy the game however you can watch it <laughs> on Saturday my day you go